So we're good. Welcome to the Selman Podcast, episode 29. Uh, Is it 29? Yep. Wow. Hosted at the lovely Bolton Bank Studios, <clears throat> Real People, Real Solutions, Real Big Coffee Cups. Uh, big shout out to Pastel Pencil. Great stickers. A little overpriced, but high quality. Uh, <laughs> See the twelve-year-old girl. His, like, <laughs> it's cousin my niece. Or, niece or something. She she started a business um, making stickers. So I like it. We get super cool stickers. Uh, Thank but, you for that. But just keep in mind, here's a business lesson for you for free. It's hard to raise your prices. Here, here's <laughs> you yours. Do it. That, that one's you yours. Tonight. Thank you very much. You to be a cool person now. I like it. <laughs> we have a lovely guest today. His name's Eric Snyder. Uh, he hails from the great state of Nebraska. And I believe it's the the western side, isn't it? The it western is. side. Yep. You didn't uh, drive here just. For, from there for, to not, here? Just not for just for the, uh, okay. yeah. for the interview. <laughs> uh, he is a partner at Excelsior Bay Group out of Excelsior, Minnesota. Um, and we met doing some nonprofit work, and uh, I thought it would be a fun time to have him come on. All around great person, great guy, very kind, uh, smart. And we've just, I, I think a fun guest is what I, like you'll right. see, it'll be a, All right. just probably like easy, nice, chill guest to have on. Um, so that's it. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Um, we have cameras and we're being recorded, so I don't know. I think yours. Yeah, there. yours is there. Okay. Yeah, <clears throat> we're there's a bunch of them. All right, it's good stuff. But yeah, so I, I you're from I want to say Preston, close uh, Paxton. But it's Paxton. Paxton right? You've been there at least five <clears throat> times. <clears throat> so you've driven through, right? I you uh, <laughs> did you stop? I, I can't remember. You stopped, right? Why were you in Paxton, Nebraska? Maybe they're calling right now. I know. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Both two phones at the same time. <laughs> like, oh, which one? Bye. Bye. Sell. Bye. Oh, my okay, God. So where's, where's Paxton, Nebraska? It is uh, about an hour from the Colorado border, right okay. on Interstate 80. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, if you've driven I-80, it's sort of between mm-hmm. North Platte and, and Ogallala. Yep. yep. Uh, it's a, Paxton itself is about 600 people. Um, and there's a famous bar called Oli's Big Game Bar. Okay. There is. Uh, Oli Hersted yeah. was a big game, like safari hunter, and so the bar is full of all this cool taxidermy. So a disproportionate number of people who have been through Nebraska have been to my hometown just because of Oli's. <laughs> Next time I'm driving to Colorado, I will definitely You'll do that. You'll have to make a point to yeah, stop. Yeah. So how do you get to – where do you live now? In Minnesota? I live in Excelsior, just on okay. the western edge of the cities. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're not far from Lake Minnetonka. No, we uh, about 150 <clears throat> yards, probably. All right. So I'm a, I'm a big musky fisherman. Love really? to fish. So yeah. Minnetonka, I have a nice, you know, kind of soft spot in my heart for that lake because it's pretty awesome. Yeah. What do they say? Is it like muskalunge? How do you actually say the full name of musky? Um, uh, I think. Yeah. I don't know. There's a big long name. That's yeah, like yep. M-U-S-K-E. It's the like science right. name. Yeah, so, you're right. Muskelunge. <laughs> L-U-N-N-G-E. Yeah, it's a scientific name. Uh, are there muskies in Minnetonka? Big ones. Really? Really big ones. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah like there's, um, you, for, for people that like maybe don't understand, like a, a trophy walleye is 30 inches. And bigger, like that's a really that's a rare thing. Yep. Uh, muskie is fifty and bigger, and there are several muskies. I mean, several that are caught every year out of there that are like 52, 54, 55. Wow. Three years ago, I talked to a guy. He showed me a picture <clears throat> on the bump board, so it mm-hmm. was legit. It was a fifty-seven. Huh. Yeah. Unbelievable. 
So there's yeah. really big ones out there. You don't like they're not as my, many as there used to be, but yeah, we they're won't still make the there. podcast about muskies because the, but they're still there. You've never talked. Yeah, they're still there. Oh yeah, I fish them. I suppose if you go to Beer Can Island at the right time, you might be able to catch yourself a your own kind of Minnetonka muskie. You, you could. You know, yeah, if the timing is right yeah. and you play your cards if you got the right tackle. <laughs> might, might be able to land one in the boat. You could. Absolutely. <laughs> you don't even need a net. <laughs> you know, I feel like there's like, I, I took my wife fishing joke in there somewhere. <laughs> All right. So, so it's Paxton. Paxton. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Home of Oli. Home and, of And Oles. I did go through Paxton and I, and I took a picture for you. Yeah. When I was going through there, and I took a picture of Oli's, like yeah. the big game. And uh, the other, when I was growing up, there were two bars in town. There was Oli's, which was kind of the tourist bar, and then Swede's, which was the local bar, and that was my grandpa's bar. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. I got to grow up, bellied up to the bar with a highball of Coke and a Milky Way bar. That's how <laughs> I spent my Saturday mornings. So hanging out. <laughs> I did see some regalia from. Swede's bar. You had something like you brought a hat or something. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, it's just, it's, it's about as classic, <laughs> just freaking awesome American like graphics and logos you could get. Just straightforward. Like, you know, like, you know what you're in for. And there's not a lot there. Nope. Like when you see that Swede's bar, you're like, I, I, I want to go there. <laughs> I want to go there right I'm now. I'm serious. You, sh- you, sh- you should explain the logo. Well, uh, Swedes is is got like a cursive S with kind of a little tail on it, uh, and then Swedes is in cursive. And there was one <laughs> one year I don't really know. I was in elementary school. My grandpa always ordered an, a new round of like the trucker caps with the white like styrofoam mm-hmm. crown and Swedes bar, but nobody proofread it. So there was a whole a whole series of Sweds bar <laughs> hats. Uh, I wish I had one of those. Those would be a collector's item. So it's the perfect logo and like the lettering looks like it should be sponsoring like an early 70s like softball team. Yep. And they they had a softball it's team. Just perfect. Yep. And I wish I had one of the like a jersey of Swedes bar softball jersey. That would have been pretty sweet with like baby blue pants yeah. uh, like the short ones though like short up, ones up in the long stirrups yeah yep. yeah you'd have been the the <laughs> for sure in those. <laughs> so i don't know it's so i took a trip to denver for work and i drove it because it was during the heart of covid <clears throat> and uh i'm like i i have a buddy i have a friend i think he's from here like he's from around here because my brain's weird mm-hmm. and i'm like i think he's like, is it Preston? I can't be Preston. <laughs> so I'm like zooming out. I'm like, no, that's it right there. Zoom back in. I'm like, it's, yeah, it's Paxton. Okay. Screenshot. I'm like, I'm in your hometown. He's like, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I am. And I think you were like eight or 10 hours behind me. Yeah. And like you were just leaving the cities. Were we headed out there too? Yeah. I, I think you were around the holidays or something. Yeah. Like the next day or something. Yeah. Did you so wait for him? So. I, you know, I did tell Kelly it would be really funny if we stayed here overnight and just like to split up the trip. <laughs> yeah. And then like met for breakfast the next morning mm-hmm. or like went to go meet his dad or something. <laughs> like, hey, has your dad got a spot for us? You know, <laughs> yeah. the truck. And she's like, such a long drive. And I was like, but how cool would that be <laughs> yeah, to do that? Awesome. Yeah. You know? Bruce and Roxy would roll out the red carpet for you. You know. <laughs> for sure. So... 
you know, like for me, the beginning of the journeys are always very fascinating. So you're born and then you go, is it your, your mom, dad, both from that area? High school sweethearts, both okay. grew up in Paxton. Yep. And then you have siblings? I have one younger brother. Yeah. Yeah. He's about three years younger. So we got two siblings, two boys. And did you, and your grandpa and your grandma, is it your dad's dad, your mom's dad, uh, both? So, yeah, Sweet and Irene were my mom, the Nelsons, yep. uh, my mom's parents. And then uh, my, my grandma, Ruth, lived on the ranch. Um, mm. my, my grandpa, Bruce, uh, died before I was born, so I never met him. Mm. Um, but So can we but, run down those freaking awesome names again? We got, <laughs> we got Ruth, Sweet, Sweet Bruce. Yeah, Bruce. Bruce, Sweet, and Irene. <clears throat> Sweet and Irene. Was Swede short for something? Uh, short for Pershing. Okay. Pershing. So his Nelson name was, was Pershing. His name. Yeah. Wow. Jesus. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Nice. See, see what I mean? Can't make it up. No. Irene, can't Pershing, make that up. Ruth, and Bruce. Yep. Take that, all you Kyles out there. <laughs> all the Matt. All the Aidens. <laughs> you know. Wade. All the Matts. The Wades. <laughs> you know. So how how'd you find? So like you graduate high school there. Yep. And then you. Uh, I went went was a Cornhusker, went to University okay. of Nebraska to get my oh, yeah, undergrad. Yeah. Was that like during the, the Nebraska football <clears throat> awesomeness? Uh, I was there like 88 to 92, so it was right before yep. <clears throat> they got really good. Mm-hmm. All the Eric Crouch um, years. Yep. yep. And so I, the, the good part of that was that students got really good seats. So by the time you were senior, you had like midfield yeah. seats, 20 rows up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they got it? Really good after. Right was it after. Osborne? Yeah, right? Tom Osborne was still coach. Yeah, during those he, years, he's like a senator. Or like he was. He, yep, he, senator, was right? uh, he was our uh, house member right. for a couple of terms. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I was always surprised. I think it would be difficult to be, uh, you know, football coach for Nebraska and then just become one of four hundred and five hundred, four hundred thirty-five members of the house. Mm-hmm. Be a little. Humbling, I would think. Mm. I remember hearing that, like, thinking, all right, so you're head football coach for a big-time program, and you have some major success. Yep. You know, back when, you know, know, before they kind of got a little watered down, not trying to hate on the Cornhuskers, but they got a little bit watered down because the competition just, I think, is just deeper now. Yep. It's still a fantastic program. Maybe one of the top 15 coaching jobs in the country, maybe top 10. Still, I think. But you go from being the head coach of the Cornhusker football program to being a house rep. But not a state rep, though. I mean, like, he's on the big boy level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. excuse me, big person level. Yep. So, which didn't make sense to me. Like, how damn popular, I mean, is that what it really takes? Because you can't, I mean, does the skill set transfer? It must. I, I don't, he didn't stick around. Like, I you think I mean? he no. could have had that seat as long as he wanted it, I think. And I just probably didn't appeal. It was just not... Uh, not really his cup of tea. Hmm. All right. So what did so, so Swede had the bar? Is it Swede and Irene? Yep. And then what did Bruce and Ruth do? Like, uh, what was yep. the makeup of the family before? So uh, Bruce and Ruth were um, one of the two couples that that um, basically started the family farm and ranch. Hmm. Uh, Bruce and his younger brother Bill uh, started the farm and ranch. Okay. In the 30s. Okay. And so what does a farm look like in western Nebraska as yep. compared to you being now an adopted son of Minnesota, as yeah. I am? 
Is, uh, is it, what's the, what well, would you say the differences are? So I grew up in the North Platte River Valley. North Platte comes out of Wyoming and the South Platte comes out of Colorado and they, they converge just east of North Platte, Nebraska. So I grew up in the valley and, and the valley was mostly farm ground, but not huge fields like you see yeah. um, in Minnesota, mostly corn and alfalfa. And then north of the river uh, was the start of the Sand Hills, which is a big yep. geologic region that goes all the way up to South Dakota. And they're basically just grassed over sand dunes, very There's a ton desolate. of them, too. And, hmm. yeah. You see them everywhere. And I th- you could shoot a movie there about, like, the world ending. I mean, it's... Yeah, hmm. yeah I mean, no, a, no mining. trees or it's, it's really just great uh, grazing ground, but not, it's too hilly and too sandy to raise crops. And so, Mm. uh, but really pretty in its own way, uh, at least Mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion. But I, the first time I went out to uh, Washington, D.C., first time I went out in Nebraska uh, and got around trees, I got super claustrophobic. I almost (laughs) hyperventilated because I couldn't see for a hundred miles in every direction. I didn't, I didn't like it, but so yeah, I'm a flatlander. I'm a prairie guy. Mm -hmm. And my wife is from Missoula, Montana, grew, grew up on a mountain and, and, uh, you know, the mountains are fine, but I don't, I don't really like them. I like, (laughs) I like flat. So how, how'd you make your way here then? Uh, grad school. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Decided to, thought I wanted to be a politician uh, I was an English still, major and political still science could, major. Be great, <laughs> and, <laughs> which I, it is, like for me coming from a you know, like a shady lawyer is a compliment. Well, so I I uh, decided to go to the Humphrey Institute, the public policy school at the University of Minnesota. Um, and thought that I would either I thought I would probably work for a politician, like be a staffer. Yeah. At the state or federal level, and uh, met my wife Kim, who was uh, same class as me. And uh, along the way, kind of figured out that I wasn't I wasn't sh- really all that taken with politics after I got exposed to it a little bit more mm-hmm. deeply. Mm-hmm. And see how the sausage gets made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so then, sort of. Um, Got uh, got into healthcare by accident mm-hmm. and decided to go back and get my MBA and uh, get into healthcare as a career for a while. Hmm. So, I also think that part of Nebraska is beautiful. I'm also a flatlander, mm-hmm. being from Illinois. It's like it's very flat. We're known for our flatness. <laughs> but you know, it's just more the personality or the land or <laughs> all of it, all of it, both. Right. Makes sense. It's a really. I don't know. It's not as flat. Personality-wise, I think is Minnesota. We're not not as we're not nearly as stoic as most Minnesotans. Maybe, are you as uh, passive aggressive? No, <laughs> we're the masters. I'm learning though. Passive aggressive <laughs> in Minnesota. It's a it's a tool you can use. It's got to be in the box because it's very effective. But the um, so do you still prefer the? Because I'm fascinated by this. Like when your brain remembers something from 50, you know years ago yeah it's like this powerful tool to like get you back somewhere you go to dc and how old are you when you go to dc uh i was probably like uh uh i was in college so probably sophomore junior in college and Mm -hmm. we were driving somewhere like in maryland and it was really uh yeah lots of trees and Mm -hmm. foliage and i almost freaked out (laughs) so it's 
you didn't know your brain was going to do that. No, like, how could you I didn't know? expect it. No. Yeah. Same thing. We were living out in Connecticut and I came back to pick my wife up you know, from graduation in Dubuque, Iowa. And I was used to being in that, like the world's on top of you. Yeah. yeah. And I got gas in between like Dubuque, Iowa and Madison, Wisconsin. And you know, I just went out to pump the gas and I looked around, there's nobody there. And I thought, this really is a, this a big place. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. big sky. Going to where you are feels even bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's freaking huge. Like the world does get very big over there. Yeah. Well, uh, some of my favorite people on the planet are sand hillers. They're ranchers who live 30 miles from where I grew up in the hills, mm-hmm. and they maybe see the mailman once a day. Like they don't see people. Mm-hmm. And if you get a flat tire, you're staying for lunch because they just want they just want to see people, and they're yeah. really nice. And you know they can fix anything in the house. They can fix the dishwasher because no repairman's driving out to their place to fix anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just really independent, generous, nice people. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why some of your favorites? Oh, because they're also characters. I think being yeah. by yourself so, uh-huh. that long, they're, they're <laughs> colorful. <laughs> and they like to talk. You know, yeah. they're, they're almost extroverted because they, yeah. they just never see anybody. So <laughs> I, in my uh, going to be a senior in high school, I, some, I got in the doghouse at, uh, at home and I w- got uh, – sent to work for a Sandhiller family for a month uh, you, just to get out of the house. And I mean, a month's a long time. Do you happen to recall why you were in the, <laughs> the doghouse? I think there were a couple of infractions of the house rules that maybe got broken. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, loved... It was really fun because I got to work by myself. I was, uh, yeah. I think I was fixing fence by myself all day for like 12 yeah. hours a day. Mm-hmm. And it was very, yeah, it was it was a fun month. What's mm. that book? And, you know, we were talking about the, you know, the guy that went to live with the monks. Did we, we ever talk about that? I think we have, but that was, that's a while back. So the guy that had Goggins come live with him, like 30 days with the Marine, he also did like two weeks with monks. Same same guy that had Goggins oh, live in his okay. house. Also yeah. went to go live. In, you ever heard of this? Hmm. So he almost lost his mind when he mm-hmm. first went to the monastery because mm-hmm. he was coming in for like, you know, he's married to the lady that created Spanx and he has like some, he's a pretty well-to-do guy, right? Yeah. Writes books and does all the kind of stuff that, you know, you would assume he's got some cash. He <laughs> lives in like White Plains, New York or something like that. Right, mm-hmm. right. Flies out west and goes, you know, to stay with the monks. No phone, no Twitter, no anything, no internet, nothing. And he experiences this, like in the beginning of the book, he's like, I thought I had been there for, you know, this is hyperbole, but he's like, I thought I'd been there for six hours and it was 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So right. it takes a while for a busy mind to go and like look forward to laying fence posts or put, you know, or fixing well, fence. You remember Melissa Kruper, who was on the podcast? Yeah, yeah. She talked about. <clears throat> she goes to these retreats. He's like, yeah, oh uh, yeah, yeah, like the silence retreats, the silence retreats yeah, yeah. where you don't mm-hmm. say 
a thing. You don't look at your phone. You don't anything. You're just in your own mind for 24 hours. Yeah. And she said, it's kind of laughable because people are just losing it. I mean, they're like bawling. They're laying on the floor. <laughs> just like, they, people just lose their minds because we're used to be like, okay, well, uh, yeah. good to talk to you. I'm going to go to, you know, just look at this. Just distracted all the time. Just all the time. And she yeah. said, it's it's laughable. These people are just losing it because they, they're not used to being, being in alone their own head. Yeah. and being in your own head for days on end. Right. You know, but well, I mean, like, what do you expect? It's like, I looked down and I thought like one phone was ringing I had both phones. ringing, <laughs> And I'm like, why do I have two phones? You know, I don't know. No I, time for introspection when you got two cell phones. Yes. It's weird. You know, and yes. I think that going out to Nebraska and I was wrong about the drive because I'd never done that drive before. I had driven west and south, you know, northwest. But had never driven from like the Twin Cities area to Denver. Mm-hmm. You know, I keep thinking about that, <clears throat> you know, like scene from Dumb and Dumber. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm gonna say? It's yeah. like, thought the Rockiers would be a little bit rockier than this. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, that John Denver's full of shit. <laughs> um, so, I'm, but it's just sand dune and hill and nothing really. There's no water. There's, there's some creeks and rolling things like that. Nothing huge. Yeah. And then it's just mile after mile after mile and hour after hour, like mm-hmm. a lot of it. Imagine mm-hmm. doing it in a covered wagon. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a, some comedian does a joke where it's like you leave New York and you go out to San Francisco to like find gold or whatever. It's like by the time the original, like by the time the whole wagon train CK. gets there. Yes. Yeah. He's like, it's a whole different group of people, people because they died. all died. People were born. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's a whole new group of people yeah. because it took that long to get out there. And you think about how nuts it is that we actually have a road and we're driving it. And now they're like, we think we just go that way. But there's a rail line. There's a rail line that yep. runs that area. There the was. original original UP. Yeah. 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 But yeah. not not before no, no. 1915 oh, yeah. ish. And I just thought, okay. Like if we're, you know, like we're talking with Kelly and the boys, and I'm like, you think they have Amazon Prime out here? Like <laughs> two day drop? Like what is it? Like a week drop? We, you know, like we can get it to you in seven days. And you're like, oh my god, seven <laughs> days? That'd be amazing. You know? Or uh, I'm like, if we get a flat tire, I was like, we are out here, man. Yeah. And I was like, it's kind of great though. So, you know, it's nice. It's like one of the boundary waters, and the first day you're just. Or like any trip, like the first day you're in the mountains or in the flats, like I don't know, you're like sweating it out or something. Like the world and all the crazy bullshit that we have to deal with all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. But then by like day three, you're like, oh yeah, this is actually who I am, mm-hmm. right? You know, I, yeah. I feel like myself again. But it mm-hmm. takes like three days and no cell service. Mm-hmm. That's what that place reminded me of. Yeah. Well, so it's funny to me that as hostile and scary as it would be to be a settler going out in a covered wagon with all the things that you own headed west, um, and you'd think that you'd want to, you know, stay together and there'd be safety in numbers. Nope. Mormons, you're over there. Your trail's yeah, over right. there. <laughs> we, we don't have time for, you know, any other, <laughs> any mm-hmm. other yeah. people. You got to... Take your own trail. Just short-sightedness, and you're thinking, I could, I believe in my own survivors, you know, like my survival <laughs> yeah. skills. I don't need to, you know, fraternize with those folks. Yeah, it looks like uh, self-interest would have kept them together, if nothing else. But nope, two trails going but west. I think, like, to have the mindset to do that, you have to be a pretty 
independent person to begin with to even think that that's a party you know, what you want to do yeah stupid and now let's say you find a spot like uh what was it uh there's a tom cruise nicole kidman movie where they go out west and they find they like find oh the, yeah what's that um, like far far away or something yeah where they <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it is i think something that's what like, it is but what what was it where they had you could go out and just like stake a claim. Yeah, he ran out there and he stuck the like, yeah, and the flag then like that was ground. your yeah. whatever hundred acres or whatever. You yep. just like put your flag down and then that's yours. And but they were Irish, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. they were homesteaders, right? Homesteaders, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Sooners were the ones who went out the night before yeah. the deadline. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, nice it, dig. I appreciate that. That's, that's yeah. Good. yeah, way to get that in there. Sooners, they've <laughs> <laughs> like, been a problem forever. <laughs> See, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's so. Uh, from covered wagon all the way to you go into healthcare. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So like is that your career now? Uh no, not any uh, longer. At least okay. not not most days. Okay. <clears throat> so I I worked for about 10 years at Optum, which is the services branch of United Health Group. Okay. Um is it still? Uh yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean I, I think yep. it is. Um and I mean they've yeah. expanded all the services they offer, but um so worked about a decade there and learned a lot, liked the people, liked the work. But after about 10 years, I was just kind of ready for something else. So I and I, I could kind of see myself getting there. So saved up, <clears throat> saved up money for a couple of years. It was I was so busy. I didn't really ever have time to figure out what was next. So um, just kind of decided to jump off the merry-go-round one day. Kind of to my wife's surprise, she knew it was going to happen, but it happened about a month sooner than uh, we'd planned. And I uh, came home and <clears throat> uh, told her that I had finally jumped off the merry-go-round and spent a couple months talking to a career coach to sort of remind myself what I like to do. Yeah, okay. Kind of like the bound, you know, Boundary Waters yeah. experience, mm. you sort of yeah. start to remember who you are. And so this this woman specialized in mid-career changes where she didn't help you find a job similar to the one you left. She helps you figure out what was missing and how mm-hmm. to yeah. how to get that. Which, and, which is uh, wow. valuable insight to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was fun. And, yes. yeah. um, so, and I wasn't in a particular rush. I'd kind of given myself a year to figure it out. And, um, it occurred to I me, mean, what, what I learned is that I was missing the policy, like the thing I had initially gone to school to, to, learn how to do. I was not getting through my, <clears throat> my corporate job at, at Optum. And, and the two ways to sort of get involved in policy are either to be in government or to be in the nonprofit sector. Yeah. And I didn't really, the government path didn't excite me all that much. And my wife had uh, previously, like eight years before, started her own consultancy that serves the nonprofit sector. So, uh, Which, yeah, that's because they're usually smarter than us, and so she did it eight years before you. And, <laughs> right. You know, right. So in a moment of weakness, she agreed to let me uh, into the firm. <clears throat> and uh, she she really likes fundraising and development. That's kind of her specialty. <clears throat> so I sort of learned the fundraising ropes from her, and then um, we shared clients for the first couple of years, and now we kind of have our own regular clients that we serve and we Mm -hmm. sort of just invite each other in um, when we have a question we want a little perspective on. (laughs) But, but it's nice to have, you know, that person to bounce off, you know, you have to bounce those ideas off of, especially in a, you know, smaller, you know, consulting firm. Yeah. 
I mean, sometimes just to have just the one is more than enough to give you a perspective or if you don't know something or just to give you, like, give you some connection somewhere mm-hmm. versus having some organic impromptu network you develop over years of trial and error. Like, at least, you know, you can trust this person, you know, and they're, and they're yeah. You know, and they're going to give it to you with the bark on more than likely because they don't have to be nice to you. Right. <laughs> you know, that's exactly that, that cut, is, there is just like that's very cut true. through it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a dumb, that's a dumb idea. Don't do that. <laughs> All right. Check. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. But here are some options. Yeah. And and we tend to hear different things. If we even sit at the same table with a mm-hmm. client, we pick up on different things and we're pretty different people. So, yeah. so that's, uh, as long as we're not sharing clients, there's such a thing as being too close. And I yep. think we definitely stepped on each other's toes for the first year, but she hung with it. And, uh, and now it's, uh, now it's good. So you've been doing that for how long? I, this was my seventh anniversary, I think. On, okay. I think I oh, saw wow, on yeah. LinkedIn. Cool. Yeah. So awesome. it's gone fast. So what's your, what's a day-to-day type stuff look like for that? Yeah. So what, what, first, what's the name of the business? Uh, the Excelsior Bay Group okay. is the name of the firm. And it's just uh, the two of us. Sounds and exclusive. It does. <laughs> it it's a great very, name. Excel- very fancy. Wait, you do Excelsior Bay? Excelsior Bay Group. Wow. <laughs> what well, you guys do? Set up better. That's right. <laughs> we created it. You did? Yeah, the whole bay. So the whole bay. The whole group. <laughs> Kim uh, Kim gets all the credit for the the name. I uh, I just signed on later. We so uh, our clients are pretty much all five hundred one c three nonprofit organizations. Okay, and we tend to they tend to be sort of medium sized. They're big enough that they have uh, staff and mm-hmm. yeah. sizable budget. They're not huge. Uh, national firms tend to do really large uh, client work in our experience. Uh, so they're medium size, but in terms of the mission, they're kind of all over the board. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've we've worked in just about every sector. Um, and I don't know that I have a favorite. I mean, the thing I enjoy is there, I get to learn constantly about something I didn't know much about before. Mm -hmm. Um, so when Wade and I first, uh, got to work together, it was, uh, the project was about bringing a dental clinic down to Martin County. So Mm -hmm. I got to, and, um, the, the client, um, was a, the, the dental clinic had been a client of mine and got invited to um, put together a proposal to come down to Martin County. So uh, I get to work on health care a little bit with my dental clients. Um, get, we're working on some early child care and yeah. some senior care stuff. Yeah. Um, people with disabilities, uh, camps, dyslexia, boy, you name it. One of the two of us has probably worked yeah. on it uh, wow. at some point or the other. So it's really it's really fun, and there, you know, there start to be similarities, uh, but but it's it's really it's really fun to learn about all the good stuff that's uh, happening in our communities. So what what's your role then in yep. in all of that? So uh, I tend to get brought in around. So one of the things that nonprofits often will pay for is fundraising consulting Mm because there's a pretty natural return on investment that they all Mm -hmm. get. Um, So often that's, that's the, (laughs) uh, that's the initial project we often get brought in to help with. Um, But then as a part of doing fundraising that to, to be effective at fundraising, you need to have a compelling mission and a good strategy. Yeah. And, and it's sort of the back door to a lot of other interesting mm-hmm. 
strategic and operational work. And because um, so Kim usually gravitates to the uh, fundraising and development work and likes to coach people and help them uh, develop in their career. I tend to really like strategy and operations and kind of yeah. getting into the details. Mm -hmm. and Which if you think about stuff. it, it's like some nonprofits seem to do it in the reverse order. For some reason, they just they, they want to go out and they're like, you know, we need money. So how much? As much as we can get. <laughs> right. like, well, what's our what's our narrative? What's our compelling narrative? What's our mission? I don't know. Money. Right. We need money. We need to help everybody. Or, you know, like we are going to, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it's not intentional. No. I think it's rather unintentional. It's like, well, what are you going to tell people? Yeah. Well, we want to cure, you know, childhood X. All right. There's a, you have a lot of competition for that dollar. Like, what, like, what are you going to do? Yeah. And so then you end up going like, oh, well, you know, we can't spend the money on that or we don't want to do that or we don't have a big marketing budget <laughs> or all this other stuff. And then they, I, I think there's a chance for them to go, oh, okay. So if you put some, you know, your ROI is greater if you can really get in there you know, and meet people where they need to be. Yeah. So they'll give you money. Um, and quite often it's not just about like knowing the 20 richest people in your neighborhood or your town. It's like, they'll write us a check. It's like, it doesn't really work like that. I don't, sometimes, yep. but not really. Mm -hmm. So it's been interesting to, cause we've worked on two or three projects for sure. Yep. Even in a pretty small, you know, geographic area, all the personalities and the ways that it, they were happening and came together have all been relatively different. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, there's some you know, community similarities, very broad ones, but in, you know, individually for smaller nonprofits, they're pretty diverse. I mean, I would say for the different, you know, like the different initiatives. Mm -hmm. So I, which brings me back to the question I wanted to ask earlier. I don't remember nonprofits being a real big thing when I was a kid. Like, because no one was asking you for money at that point? I don't know. <laughs> like, I knew about the community chest. You know, I, I knew about some, bit, maybe like the community foundation or the mm -hmm. hospital or like St. Kate's something. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember, you know, like the 1985 Chicago Bears wearing like pink cleats. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yep. Yep. I remember yep. the yellow ribbons, um, you know, some of those things, you know, around AIDS, HIV, the mm -hmm. Gulf War, some of those things. Um, maybe you bought, you know, like roses around a certain time of year and that went to the X. Yep. Do you guys remember there being a ton of nonprofits around like, like areas that you grew up in? Mm, well, I grew up like my dad was the, um, <clears throat> he was the campaign chair for the United Way. I remember that. But that was, I mean, yeah, I'm I mean, a I little suppose, bit younger than you. Yeah, I suppose they were campaigning. Like, so I remember that. 30 years ago. Going and I vividly remember what, you know, I don't remember what he said, but I remember being there. And, uh, but like, I remember that a little bit, but I would say there's much more, like, I think you take Minnesota and I don't know this statistically, maybe this is wrong, but Minnesota is one of the most giving states. Is it number one? Number in one. the entire country. Number one. And you just look at Mankato, like back when my dad was doing that, he was the campaign chair. He was the John kind who was our, our last uh, guest last Tuesday he told me that my dad was the first uh, first guy to raise a million dollars for the United Way. Not him specifically, but yeah, just that, 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 campaign, that, that yeah. year campaign right. did that, you know? And so it's like that, I mean, this is early 90s, you know, a million bucks out of 
what, 40,000 people at that point in Mankato? Mm -hmm. That's a ton of money. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's now a, that's it's like a lot of double. Giving. Yeah. So, yeah. or more. I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, I, we should ask you because you're the guest. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, you know, I, yeah. I think I'll weigh in, but I'm just like, it seems like it's grown, right? It's, yeah. I, I mean, it's relatively easy to start a nonprofit, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so I think they have really proliferated in their causes for all sorts of things now that didn't mm -hmm. used to exist. And, and that, I mean, that's a great thing. Um, but it also, it's a really fragmented industry, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so I think it, it sort of cuts both ways. It's also easier through social media to get the word out. You don't have to have, you know, put a flyer on people's windshields yep. anymore. It's, it's easier to get your, to get your name out and your mission out. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating sector, and what what I you know I always compare it to the private sector. There, we we do encounter organizations that really have their mission dialed in, and they know what they're doing, yeah. and and they've proven it time and time again in their own little geography, and they mm -hmm. they deserve to expand. I mean, they really should scale, and there just aren't the same mechanisms. If you were a business, you'd go public, right? You'd yep. sell shares of yourself and you get more capital and you'd kind yeah. of franchise it or expand mm -hmm. and do more good. And the nonprofit sector historically just has not had that. It's all kind of local and mom yeah. and pop. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, one of the ironies is, is as a policy person, we leave some of the hardest problems in society to the nonprofit sector to fix yeah. And they, as a sector, have the fewest tools and mm -hmm. um, and capabilities of any of the sectors. Mm -hmm. um, there's this mismatch, and I think it's getting I think it's getting better. I think the sector is getting more professional. Uh, but but it, that to me is what gets me excited is that mm -hmm. there are nonprofits that we would love to help scale and mm -hmm. um, become more sophisticated and yeah. expand. It didn't used to be that way, though. I mean, this is a newer thing that we created, I think, by taking you know, certain kinds of resources uh, out of our communities, big, small, you know. You, you know, if uh, you know, somebody lost a spouse, you know, we used to be able to have a, you know, a community, uh, I don't know, almost like a neighborhood watch program mm -hmm. that you might bring this person you know, seven casseroles because mm -hmm. they lost their spouse or, or, you know, they heard something bad happened or like the kid, like one of the kids broke their arm or their leg or there was a hardship. We would take care of each other somewhat individually through, you know, these community mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the ladies might have a bake sale. Somewhere along the way, all that stuff seemed to take a huge hit. Mm -hmm. and we started to rely more on institutions if it's government or nonprofit, but it certainly wasn't like in our communities. Mm -hmm. I think that's changing now, but for 20, 30 years, it seems like through the late seventies, eighties, into the nineties, it just wasn't there, but it made a huge push last 15 years. But like growing up, I, I didn't see that. And I, I would love some numbers on the numbers of you know, nonprofits since like 1995. There used to be, I don't know, 5,000 and now there's, 500,000 because you can find money to give to anybody for mm -hmm. the, maybe like the smallest thing, mm -hmm. but it's really important to these 12 people. Mm -hmm. They can have a nonprofit. So I think the number, the number that 
um, sticks in my mind is there are about 2 million 501c3s in the country. Yeah. And okay. I, I don't know I how, this, like, what the growth rate is, uh, mm-hmm. but but it it's not a difficult... Um, it's and not you know, a, like GuideStar and C or something? Or, yeah. But yeah, from 1965 to now, I mean, you know, like relative to population growth, but mm-hmm. it's, there's no way in hell it's, you know, it's, it was 2 million or, you know, for that... You know, like that time of the year. Correct. And There's no way. giving has been about 2% of GDP just consistently through for decades. It doesn't really change. Even it went up a little bit during COVID. <clears throat> People really stepped up uh, and gave. So, so giving is 2% more. of GDP. Yeah. Okay. That's a big number. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's actually bigger than I thought. Yeah, that's a really big number. And the majority of that is individual giving, not foundations or corporations. Mm-hmm. So, like, did your families, you don't have to answer the question, but did your families give money through church or, like, give a certain percentage of salary or, like, their income through church? Because that was, you know, that was fairly prevalent for a long time to help Mm -hmm. fund those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that happens a lot anymore. I think that probably doesn't happen as much where you're giving 10% of your salary to the church or your, you know, your place of faith. Yeah, you know, you like to fund those programs, and that's probably why they had to you know, go elsewhere or you know create these organizations and go give money else, you know, huh, he, to he, someone else. So here's a question. <clears throat> so, and you, this might be a, yeah. a good question for you or not. I don't know. Okay. We can cut it out if we need to. It's really bad. <laughs> that's right. <but>, so, <laughs> do you like Velveeta cheese? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <just>. <laughs> Tastes real. No. So, <laughs> you think so it's the, real? The question is, is like the scrutiny over 501c3s, like how oh, the money is yeah. used That's a good question. and how much money is. That's like, a good question. I take myself as an example and yep. I look at a generation before me. They give to the Red Cross or something and they like, they just, I ask the question and they've never asked that to themselves. Like how much of that dollar that I give is actually going into the ground essentially. Uh, yep. And yep. I think is is that changing, kind of the transparency with yeah, nonprofits that way or not? Yeah, for sure. Yes. There there are organizations that um, that that really that sort of rate nonprofits based on their transparency. Nonprofit watchdog. Yeah. And there are there are different levels of impact. So so and the one that often gets sort of cited is your. What percent of a, of a dollar gets used for administration yep. versus programming? Yeah. Yep. And and places like the Red Cross have gotten in trouble for that. Right. Yep. And that's a pretty um, subjective thing. I think the the administrative costs of some missions legitimately can be higher than yep. others. Um, I think the the real thing that's in, that ought to be important that is hard to measure is. What are you trying to do? So it's great to know that 92% of the, my dollar goes to programming. Yeah. But what the hell is happening? Are you yeah, moving the needle right. or are you just paying salaries? Like yeah. um, that being able to quantify that. And that, that's kind of where my my background from United Health Group comes out is we had to, in, in the work I was doing, we were trying to sell employers uh, on the idea of buying wellness programs for their employees because it would keep them from, you know, uh, 
generating a lot of expensive medical costs. But we had to prove those numbers to the HR department and a lot yep, of big yep. employers had their own medical director. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't enough to just say, hey, our administration costs are low. They were trying to say, well, tell me how many people you yep. kept out of the hospital this mm-hmm. quarter. And and it's that level of scrutiny. I, I acknowledge that it's hard to do, but I think we ought to be asking those questions more often because at least in the in the private sector, we had a real theory of what we were trying to do. We, we could mm-hmm. say, we know that a certain number of your employees is going to develop a back problem. And we think we can divert a third of them to a chiropractor. And of the ones who really need to have surgery, we can direct them to a high quality surgery center, which mm-hmm. is going to be 20% less than mm-hmm. other places. Mm-hmm. And we, we had a real um, quantifiable sort of uh, business model that we could and it wasn't perfect. It was it was an educated guess about what we were trying to do, but we yep. had a real point of view. Yep. yep. And I I keep wanting for nonprofits to have a really solid point of view about yep. who they're trying to help, exactly how they're going to intervene, and then the benefit that's going to that, accrue when they do. That's the hardest part that I have <clears throat> when I sit down and I listen to the presentation, and it's largely and this is not a knock, but this it's largely emotional. There's help. These people are this, and we need to help. Yep. And I'm sitting back there. I'm like, hmm. Because, like, I do due diligence for a living. Like, that's yep. what I love to do. I look on page 302 of the pl- private placement memorandum. Like, that's my fun. Yeah. And so I'm like, hmm. Okay, so how is all that being done? Like, I would love to hear the other side of that page and just say, guess what? Cost is only relevant in the absence of value. Here's how much value we provide. Yeah, we might cost a little bit more. We only have, you know, 88% going into the ground day one. But the reason why is because we're in Africa building wells. It takes some time and effort to get over yeah. there. You know, I don't often <clears throat> hear the other side of that coin. It's often just the one side, if that makes sense. Yep. So granted, subjective viewpoint, but that's just something that I was thinking about when you're talking about nonprofits. I am so glad you brought this up, Matt. <clears throat> Thank so you. You're I, we I, plan I, this. We, we have a script. <laughs> so like any uh, good MBA. Our producer. <clears throat> yeah. I, I Thank you, a, Tony. <laughs> I have a four square that describes the different types of charitable giving. And this is just, I made this up one day because it helps me <clears throat> make sense of it. So it's, it's four, four, four squares. squares. <clears throat> oh, like four square. Yeah. <laughs> They're called quadrants. Oh, now I, now I get, oh, a quadrant. Okay, I get it. Now it's got quadrants. And uh, across one axis is the amount of money, whether you give a little amount or a big amount, and that's all relative for the person. And then the other is whether it's an emotional giving, uh, are you giving out of emotion or out of sort of intellect or, yeah. or rational thought? Mm-hmm. And, it, and none of them are bad. Like we all give these different ways. Mm-hmm. I give emotionally small dollar to the Girl Scouts when they come to my front door, right? Because yeah. I know them, they're neighbors. And yeah. they're you can't co- say no to little Jenny. No, you know, and I'm not cute. asking it, for their like, ROI. Here's, yeah, here's, it's like exactly 20, right. here's my 20. <laughs> Uh, and they have good cookies, and you know it's easy. They do. And they mm-hmm. taste good. Like, uh, where's that in the square? Is that an intellectual decision? <laughs> that is. I have a term for it. That is the uh, the booster. The booster. Okay. So you're being a booster. Yeah. So if you now you go down below the booster, it's it's high dollar but emotional. And my example is my fraternity, right? Mm-hmm. 
I have a, a very, mm. and for other people, it's their church, but it's it's something that they just have a very strong emotional tie to. What fraternity were you in? I was in a fraternity called Farmhouse Fraternity. I and love it's Farmhouse. their land-based, oh, yeah. grant-based schools. Yep. So We call uh, them AGR. Yeah, and AGR is a... a uh, Alpha, yep. Alpha Gamma Rho. That's right. Farmhouse. There And two separate fraternities, actually. Yeah, but, but we had a farmhouse and we and had an AGR. AGR. Yeah. And there's an AGS, too, in Nebraska. Three of them on the, <laughs> Sorry, on the ag ahead. campus. Yeah. <laughs> and the farmhouse guys were always absolutely a blast. Super fun. Very handy. <laughs> very handy. Very crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, mostly a lot of out-state out uh, Nebraska guys would not be shocked to see a deer carcass hanging from the basketball goal in the parking lot. Getting, mm-hmm. uh, that is what my... Dry-aged. You got it. I'm serious. <laughs> I can get along up. with those people. Yeah, I'd be just fine there. Yep. <laughs> yep. My and, favorite uh, farmhouse guy's name is AJ. I haven't seen you in 20 years, but you're a good man, AJ. <laughs> Shout out. So, uh, oh, so below the booster is the true believer, which is something that you give large amounts to, but purely based on emotion. You don't want to see the ROI. You're just committed. Um, Then uh, if you give a small amount, but you're giving sort of uh, dispassionately, uh, I I think of like uh, Red Cross hurricane victims where I want to do good. I don't know these people. I don't have any connection to them. But I'll, I'll write him a check for a hundred bucks for hurricane relief, and then the investor, which is the quadrant that I get most excited about, is someone who yeah. wants to write a big check for something that they don't have a personal experience with necessarily, and they want to do it based on the merit. The page mm-hmm. three hundred two. Why should I? Mm-hmm. Right, I'm making an investment this in you, not helps a gift. The most. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm trying yeah. to maximize my return on my investment. Uh, yeah. That to me is the most underdeveloped quadrant in the philanthropic sector, and there are yes. lots of cool tools to do that. Yeah. Um, but they're just kind of underutilized, and most people uh, are still thinking of philanthropy as just giving a check. Um, when in fact there are ways that individuals can make loans. So instead of you know a, a gift of a hundred dollars has a zero percent return. You mm-hmm. write it once and it's gone forever. Mm-hmm. There are ways that uh, you through a donor advised fund you can actually mm-hmm. make loans as long as they're below market yep. loans, mm-hmm. and you can turn that same hundred dollars over ten yeah. times, do ten times as much good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I get really when I think about where I want to spend the next fifteen years of my career in the philanthropic space. That's one of the areas I get most excited about. Is that we? It's a totally different. It's a game changer to be able to use sort yep. of finance rules and investment yep. an investment that's paradigm in terms of charity to have our community foundations grow and become more robust and offer these kinds of vehicles. Yep. I mean, I I think. You know, by and large, they are, uh, but it's not the first time that they've been able to be this successful. Mm-hmm. It's just they kind of withered and, you know, they were a little, I guess, atrophied, I'll say. You know, now they're coming back because it's not going to go back to, to, you know, the way it was where um, there were some numbers. You know, it's like the old 80-20 rule. Mm-hmm. Now, basically, it's like 90%, 95% of all your money comes from the top 1%. Yeah, I mean, yep. it's some crazy metric like that. Like it's not the, the top twenty percent. It's like the top two percent funds pretty much everything. Mm. But those are the folks that want this metric. Mm-hmm. They want this to be. But in, you know, and there's there's uh, <clears throat> like I said, there's very few people like you're talking 
that have the expertise like you do to say, hey, you want to maximize good. Mm-hmm. Try this. And now all of a sudden you're, usual, you're, you're utilizing the same finance uh, language that they built, yeah. say, their business on. Right. And you're like, guess what? We can lever this five to one. And they're like, really? Like, okay, well, let's do that then. Yeah. Where yeah. before it's like, is this really something we should do? I mean, like, is this a really good idea? It's like, no, here, just let me show you something. And they now get to speak yeah. the same language you are. I think that's really, really fun because that yeah. that's the world I live in. Right. And that's why I have a hard time that. with a lot of that. Yeah. Just kind of old stereotypes about this, you know, emotional giving or, you know, like pulling on the heartstrings. Part of that is because of the stigma about the nonprofit world. There was like private sector has the best jobs, the most high paying jobs. Then it was like government jobs. They pay okay, but the benefits are great. There's, you know, and then it was like nonprofit was the, it was like the least paying, some kind of grassroots thing. Mm -hmm. Just this long kind of overdue stigma needed to be washed away. If you track the numbers of private government nonprofit, they're all starting to trend together. Like you could legitimately come out of school and want to do nonprofit work, you're going to be paid pretty well. You're going to have exciting work to do, and it's going to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go, well, I'm going to go to Wall Street first and make $25 million, and then I'll do nonprofit to make up for all the crappy stuff I did on <laughs> Wall Street. Now you can come out and do it right away. Yep. And so I, I think that's part of why it's helped. You know, kind of have this, like yeah. you said, you're not putting flyers They're, on windshields anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And their stuff... You know, their marketing, their products, their presentations, their CEOs, their presidents, they're all as, you know, qualified as, you know, government leaders. and Yeah. Well, I think the lines were starting to blur a little bit before COVID. And now you keep reading stories about how COVID has caused a lot of people to have an epiphany that I'm in a job I really don't want. Right. Mm -hmm. I, 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 life is short and I'm going to do what I want and do something that is gratifying and they have more uh, purpose in. Yep. That's, that's more purpose driven. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be interesting to see if that even accelerates the kind of, the it's supposed to people who Mm -hmm. go into the sector. I was reading in the wall street journal, I don't know, the last month or so. You don't read the wall street journal. I do, and not not every day. Okay, but you know they're calling it the you know the great resignation mm-hmm. or the great reshuffle. Mm. I think like Monster dot com if you remember them, and I'm sure HBR, but I'm pretty sure Monster dot com. It's like ninety five percent of workers are looking to reshuffle the deck mm. or go do something else, in part because of you know. This is a dig, and I'm sorry, yeah. but they want America to become Europe for Pete's sake. Going to be eating horses before we know Jeez, it. Jeez, you kidding <laughs> those me? Those damn French. I want to go find myself. Good. Why don't you find a job? <laughs> no, you know, but there was. Sorry, that was in the articles that either people yeah. are reshuffling to find some purpose-based jobs, yeah. or they're just flat out quitting. Yeah, and just doing something else. It's like I don't know. But mm-hmm. I, I think people want meaning in their work, right? I mean, yep. that that's. That's, uh, and, and there's, you can find that in spades in the nonprofit world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, I mentioned him earlier, John Kind, who was sitting in your mm-hmm. seat last week, and he is the director of the Mankato YMCA. So he was in the for-profit world, and now he's in the nonprofit world. Yeah. yeah. And he talked about that transition from the indirect good that you can do, yep. helping people pay their mortgages and, you know, all that stuff, yeah. to go straight to the direct world of being able to, to help people. Right. And, he said, it's just, it's really rewarding when you get to go to work 
and you have someone that was in one of the little boys and girls uh, like programs yeah. growing up, and now they're ten years older, and they're like, "Hey, I got to tell you, like that was so awesome. When I was eight, I did that through the Y, and that was amazing. You yeah. know, it's just it's really cool that when he was talking about that. And you guys have had Nancy Zalik on too, right? We have. Yes, yes. yes. another yep. example of a very smart yeah. person in the sector. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, she's, very successful, and uh, has you know, she's done a great job. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's kind of set a. I think, you know, she set a blueprint for future success for folks that follow in her footsteps um, and, you know, for other communities that are trying to do the same thing. Yeah, for sure. If you just look at the growth and the numbers, the involvement that she's been able to achieve in a relatively short, you know, comparable amount of time. Mm -hmm. She hasn't been there for 30 years. Mm -hmm. It's been like, I don't know, let's just say 10 maybe. And the growth has been, I don't know pretty dramatic tens of millions tens and tens of millions of dollars yeah mm-hmm. so this is a good question though to find out um do you like direct care or indirect care i mean is what makes you feel the best like what kind said i mean like what you know do you like to have like here's the food like you're at the south <laughs> like front line <laughs> yeah like you're like direct asset, service you know? provision yeah like what actually makes you feel like you're doing the most good you're asking me? Yeah, I'm like Eric, Matt, me, and I'll share too. But my my biggest volunteering thing that I do is through Kiwanis, and we read to kids. So I go like from one to two o'clock every Wednesday for however long, and I go to a grade school and I sit down with a kid, and they either read to me or I read to them. Mm-hmm. Just let them decide, and you get to hang out with one for a half hour and another one for a half hour. Every time I walk in, I'm like, I got like, I seriously, I got so much freaking stuff to do. Like, why, why am I doing this? You know, I, I got stuff to do. And I walk out every single time and I'm like, that was the best part of my week. Yeah. Yeah. Because you get to sit and just hang out and these kids, they may or may not have someone to read to them at home or whatever, Yep. but yeah. you get to do that. And so to answer your question, when that was the thing that popped in my head, when you asked that question, it's like, that was, that's the funnest thing that I do. Just, you know, whether it's time, talent or treasure, that's my favorite thing to do. So that's, so you're a direct care guy. Direct. Like if people go, Hey, I'm going to be on this nonprofit board and we're going to do X, Y, and Z, which is all very important, but I'm asking like personally for you, or you can go read to, you know, Jerry and, and Susie. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, that, 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 that was worth it. I like that. I yeah. like that. But I also like, if I'm going to give money to someone or yeah. to give money to a group, I want to know the X's and O's of what's yep. behind yep. it. Because Same. I don't like you can sell anyone on a narrative. It's like narratives are cool. It's like in the investment world, everyone has a narrative. Yep. Some of them go up and some of them go down. Yeah. Like I want to know the who, what, why, where, and how. Yep. Like, what's the plan? What are you going to do? What's the tackling and blocking and how is that going to work? So it's a little bit of both, I guess. What's your answer? I think, well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say both. Well, I, <laughs> one you have to I, pick though, like your number one, you don't need to prefer 60, 40, but you know, so, you have to pick. Uh, yeah, I, I like, I, the thing I like about this job is I'm closer to the action. Yeah. yeah. I can see the impact we're having because the organizations we work with are small and, and mm-hmm. there's often like a tangible, there's a new building or something that you can see 
and that was part of what was hard in my corporate job is I was, you know, employed in a company of a hundred thousand people and it was, yeah. you were just a very small cog in a very big wheel. And it was very difficult, even though you worked hard and felt good about what you did, you just, you couldn't yeah. go home and tell your grandma what you did or have mm-hmm. anything to show for it. Mm-hmm. So I like the fact that I'm closer to the She's action. Like, what do you do, Eric? Day like, to day. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I think I would find it, the, the, Places I admire the most that do, I think, often have the most impact, I would find emotionally exhausting to work in myself. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Can you give uh, an example? Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of the people who who work with uh, disabled populations mm. where people who were just dealt a really hard hand, mm-hmm. um, who have really profound needs, uh, people who yeah. support them and help them on a daily basis are are doing a tremendously hard, tremendously yep. important job that I, I think I could only do for a short amount of time because I would just find it draining. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. Um, so I, I don't know that I would be a great frontline worker for a long time. That's partly why I probably gravitated to consulting because <laughs> I like to fix something and then move on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do the one, the one volunteering thing I do in my own personal life is I work on a little park conservancy, uh, that raises money for our historic park in Excelsior. Mm. And I've lived in Excelsior for like 22 years and started this about six years ago. And so I thought, you know, before I started this gig, I knew everybody in town. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I didn't at all. I mean, right. I've probably, I've met hundreds of people right. since I started doing this. You scratched the surface. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it's because it's the park, it's not divisive, like every, it's a feel good thing. And, yeah. and that's about as hands on as I get is you're raising money and, you know, volunteering in the gardens on Saturday. And mm-hmm. that, that to me is fun just because they're your neighbors and I get yeah. to go down and see what we're working on every day when I walk the dog. And so it's a little bit selfish because, you know, I, I live close to it and I can see what I'm working on. Uh, it's not, totally selfless well, but it's it's but you can fun. find your thing but the yeah, proximity yeah. and the recency helps to make that probably a fairly successful mm-hmm. you know, yeah like i'm invested project, for sure right because you're yeah. like oh, it's, it's just right there i'm gonna go right there yeah you know versus i i have to drive an hour to this stupid park to go you know pull yeah, weeds right you're not gonna want to go you know because humans <laughs> are like i can walk right there and do good and then you go there and you do that yeah. so yeah. it's like quasi direct for you yeah. yeah, and I think to Matt's point, it, that's the part that kind of recharges my batteries to be around people yeah. and you know the sense of community you get when you're doing it together. So I got you, oh you, you didn't say yours yet. Yeah. Then I got a question. Uh, direct care for me, and if I have to be involved in the organization, I have to make sure the ratio has enough direct care. Otherwise, I just think I'm like I've done this for I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm in enough. I'm in meetings all the time. This is kinda, horrible. Kind of like the the board that you and I were on that we dipped out of that we won't name, but yeah. <laughs> no, I finished. I I wrote it out, man. I did it. But I'm saying I think too many boards oh. don't have. They don't recognize this this part of, you know. You know, it's like when I coach football or basketball or you know whatever. We practice and we have the games. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to have the game. Yeah. Like you got to if you're just gonna be working, working, working. Like where's the reward? Where's the game? And I'm still wired like that. I got to have mm-hmm. both. So, you yeah. know, a uh, big corporation that does a really 
good job of that is Medtronic, and I'm sure the other mm. device companies do too, where yeah. they have an annual event or maybe even more frequently yeah. where they bring all the employees in yeah. and they get to meet the people whose lives they save yeah. with their devices. Mm. Wow. And so even if yeah. you're in the HR department um, and a couple steps removed, you get to actually – it helps you feel connected to the good that the the company is doing, which mm-hmm. is pretty, pretty smart. Like, um, you know, to the whole Medtronic point, it's – it's like doing habitat. Mm-hmm. You know, I got you know some tech job when I was 22 in Chicago, and you could they would you know they would let you go work for a day, and you would like it you know if you wanted to have a team and do something, and I picked habitat because you know I roofed and did painting and worked construction stuff in college, and I was like, I'd love to get out of this cubicle and go build somebody a house in the hood. That'd be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so I, that model. That's, I think that works, at least for me. Mm-hmm. If I can do it and then see it, it checks all the W's and the H, you know, yeah. what, when, and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I've been, I've been uh, kind of smirking over here because um, I'm a huge Arrested Development fan. You guys have watched <laughs> Arrested Development? Yeah, and, of course. Uh, and uh, Tobias got in trouble because they were raising money because uh-huh. he, he was suffering from the transplant versus host <laughs> syndrome where his hair, uh-huh. his hair transplants were rejecting yeah. him and slowly killing him. That's one of my favorite causes of all <laughs> charitable causes. Oh, my God. Okay. That's great. So my, my question that I wanted to ask you. So, uh, my wife's a great gal, okay, and she's amazing in a hundred different ways. But I couldn't work with her every day all the time. <laughs> Explain that dynamic of yeah. how you being—it sounds like two kind of different people on how you see the world. That in the same meeting, you hear different things. How does that dynamic play out, positive or negative? So I'm going to stay out of this because I know his wife. So okay. I, I, you know, I'm not as you know, I know her a little bit. What's your wife's name? Kim. 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 I'm sure you're great, Kim. She's fantastic. <laughs> well, I I can uh, I think the ways that we've figured out this is to great make time it for a high life. Are, uh, <laughs> we we have our own, and it's a little bit similar going back to um, growing up on a family farm. Yeah. So when I grew up, <clears throat> it was my my family and. Um, my We're dad's about to see a bridge jumper right here. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're welcome this to another answer bridge is going jumper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my uh, my dad worked with his brother and brother-in-law, so okay. like three partners in a family farm. And one of the things that they sort of figured out, I think, actually, this is Kim's cooler. Yes, it's it's pretty uh, for sure. Pretty full. <laughs> Have to be pretty uh, confident in your in your, uh, in your yeah. I get it. Masculinity. Okay, anyway, so, yeah, sorry. So, uh, so I think they, that my dad and uncles sort of figured out, they each had their own thing. There's a bottle opener in the side, like in the inside. You probably got one too. Um, so they each had their own responsibility and they didn't, they didn't step on each other's toes. So, yeah. and I think Kim and I have kind of done the same thing where we have our own clients. That's and, helpful. Mm-hmm. And uh, we each kind of like to do slightly different things. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is I, I office about a block away. So okay. I have my own space and we're not – nobody's hogging the, uh, you know, the internet connection. Yep. And my mess, I can close the door on my office <laughs> and nobody – my mess doesn't uh, – isn't taking up the dining room table. And So you, you had mentioned earlier – office is very clean, I think. Er, well, thank you. Early when you came to, to work with her, 
that you stepped on each other's cho- toes a little bit. Like, what what was that? Like, can you well, elaborate I, on that? I yeah, I I was still wound pretty tight from my United Health Group days. He asked a lot of questions. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, 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 that's no, good. no, 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 not you, him. Okay. <laughs> he, asked, he asked a lot of questions. He'll ask you a lot of questions. <laughs> this is like the chilled out question. Oh, okay. Versus, so, I can only imagine like eight years ago, he's like, so, like, whoa. Yeah. I, well, I, I, was, I had been trained to like um, not leave anything to chance. So before okay. a presentation, you know, you just did all your homework and diligence. You know ex- exactly who you were going to meet with, anticipated all the questions, you know, who was going to answer you know, like really, really drilled into us to be prepared. And that, you know, um, made total sense in that environment, but was way too intense for most of our nonprofit <laughs> meetings. So I think I came across <laughs> as a little too intense to my wife. Uh, you want to succeed? <laughs> <laughs> when? Right now. I, I, yes, I do. So yeah. it, it took me a, a year or so to decompress and okay. to just kind of take it easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we still show up prepared, but I wasn't, I didn't like spend all night the night before getting ready any mm-hmm. longer. Mm-hmm. And we've worked on a fair amount of projects like over the last couple of years. He's very prepared. <laughs> like, I'm, I mean, really, <laughs> seriously. I'm the, the master of the two page single spaced outline agenda. Right. I'm just like, we're going to cover all this in 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm like, holy smokes. Yep. Like, My wife right. breaks out into a rash when she I'm sees like, that. That's how I keep my thoughts together. Right. <laughs> no, do you have any kids? We have one son, okay. Ethan, who is okay. 19. Okay. Uh, going to be a sophomore at St. John's University okay. in the fall. Cool. Um, is he going back? He's going back. You know, COVID? Yeah, yeah I think I mean, they're open, I, right? I, I think they're open. Yeah. He, um, uh, St. John's has a its own fire department, and okay. Ethan is on the fire department, and so he will be in the fire department dorm. Dorm, yeah. Hmm. That's a nice dorm, actually. Yeah, it's kind of a cool old building right mm-hmm. next to the fire fire station. So, no no uh, poles that I'm aware of. But <laughs> well, I, I think it's I think it's an all boys school. So, it's... <laughs> so, so that's uh, yeah, that's uh, that's our family. Okay, and then uh, yeah. we just have Oscar the dog, who's also yeah. the office manager. What kind of dog is it? <laughs> He's. Uh, uh, half Shih Tzu and half Bashan, so oh, yeah. he's uh, Shishan. Yep. Shishan. A little, uh, uh, Shishan. I had with us. Yeah, my wife and I. Yeah, yeah lots of personality. Oh yeah, never yeah. have to wonder what he's thinking. Yeah, I, li- I like little dogs though. I like all the dogs, but I like little dogs. See, I'm not a little dog fan. That was Lisa. My wife had Cammy, who is yeah. the Shishan, when I met her, and I'm a like. I've had labs my whole life, like yep. hunting dogs, like they live outside. I mean, they're just, they're kind of savage dogs. They're amazing. But anyway, really good hunting dogs. But yeah, I'm like this little like foo-foo dog. Like I'm just never See, really got into it that much. But Cammy, she was, she was a really nice dog. <laughs> I've got a miniature schnauzer named Piper. Yeah. She's a killer. Like she's a ratter, you know? So uh, squirrels, squirrels, chipmunks, yeah. she's a beast. You got to be pretty all? fast. She's super fast. She'll catch them and eat them? Uh, she'll kill them. Really? She's her favorite thing to do in the entire world. <laughs> Number one thing. She's got this long neck, you know, yeah. and this square head that fits in the holes very nicely. Yeah. She'd get them out. She lives for it. Like, she's alive to do this. <laughs> and she's bred to do it, right? Wow. But then, like, at the end of the day, like, she'll go upstairs, and my wife will, like, 
literally lift up the blanket. And the dog will crawl under and burrow in and sleep next to my wife <laughs> all night. And she doesn't shed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's a great dog. But the big dogs wreck your house. Yep. Yeah, that Koopa's never been in my house. Let's see. So She's we, got a Taj Mahal outside. We had pet raccoons in Nebraska. Have we talked about this? I don't oh, think so. This is a, okay. Mm. Let's go forward with this. This is good. <laughs> so uh, oh, good. back back in the day, uh, they used to they used to uh, put hay in stacks rather than bales because mm-hmm. uh, at least the hay that they were going to feed to the cattle, you didn't have to transport it very yep. far. So they just have these big stacks. Uh, which were pretty loose, and so the mother raccoons could sort of make a, mm-hmm. a nest yep. in the top of them. And in, in the spring of the year, probably in April, when they'd start, they would take a, the first bite out of the top of a stack with the loader. A mama raccoon would run out, and they would know there was probably a nest of new yep. babies, and they mm-hmm. were going to feed the stack. So they would. My dad and uncles would grab the kits. I think they're called kits. Mm-hmm. The little raccoons. Yeah. I, I was just thinking that too. I'm like, is it a nest or a den with? Raccoon. With but raccoons, it's kits. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's and, kit. yeah, I think so. So we would bottle feed them. Like usually, you'd get them before their eyes were even opening. You'd bottle feed them and just raise them. Um, and we'd keep them in like a little chicken wire cage with a doghouse until they were old enough to be able to climb a tree and get out of the way of a coyote or whatever. And and they were just like little pet monkeys, like super <laughs> smart and mm-hmm. almost hands, except they don't have thumbs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and just crazy and catch a cat and just wrestle and play with the dog. And they were so funny. I mean, as kids, they would sit on your lap and I had a lemon drop in my mouth one day and he pried my mouth open and just grabbed it off my tongue and ate it. And oh my God, they were the best pets ever. We had three different sets of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, they're super, I mean, they're hyper intelligent. You know, they're like super athletes. Yep. I mean, basically, until they get... Except for the super fat ones. Except when they get really <laughs> yeah. fat. They can hardly get across yeah. the road as you're driving up but to them. You too know? much Domino's pizza or yes, something. But exactly. starting out, there's hyper-intelligent super athletes. I mean, they can do pretty much almost anything. Yeah. I mean, until they get gnarly. Sitting in the deer stand, that's one of the coolest things about deer hunting is not actually hunting the deer. Yeah. It's watching, like, the raccoons come out. And you'll see them, like, climb the tree and do their stuff. And, like, they're, it's incredible how fast they can go from... The base of a tree to the top and down, jump branches. Like I mean, it's incredible to watch yeah. what they can do athletically. It's pretty interesting. Ours, um, so ours would usually stick around. We'd raise them in the spring. They stick around for the summer, and then they kind of leave in the fall. <laughs> and we had two males the first batch, and they were really fun. And then we had two separate females, and they would. Uh, sleep behind the seat of my dad's pickup because he always had like Mm -hmm. coats and stuff and he'd always leave the windows down and so you'd be going somewhere in the morning going down the road and a little raccoon paw (laughs) would come up from behind the seat and she you know still have bed head and stuff and they would sleep in the dog food bag and just like lay there and take a nap and eat they were super (laughs) slovenly and they were they were awesome (laughs) Everybody should have a pet raccoon at least once. So I think that, to do that, like the size of that and like being similar to having this, which if you think about it, just to have an animal in your house, just plainly, it's freaking crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, especially now. I mean, they used to have like bring the goats in or smaller animals during, you know, tougher times and you would have to have your animals inside so they didn't freeze. 
but, but when, you know, we don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. But you still have this little animal that's running around your house and like licking your kids and like sleeping with you every night. And I think, this is insane. <laughs> Good for the immune system. You know, oh, I mean, you just think, and this dog, you love this dog. Yes. Yeah. I go through my phone, I'm thinking, I'm not the kind of person, I'm not the kind of man that takes pictures of his dog. <laughs> and I got, there you are. Right. And I've got like 59 pictures. But look at my dog. It's cute, isn't she? <laughs> you know. Hey, uh, can we take a quick uh, commercial break? While yeah, yeah, yeah. The absolutely. Yep. Restroom. I'll be yeah. right back. Yeah. There we go. I'll direct you the right way. Okay. Rounds of each one. You and know, it does. I think they're highly effective. Have, have you guys ever talked to um, the Venn Foundation, Jeff Oaks and the Venn Foundation? He, he's a... I don't think so. He uh, specializes in... Is it Oaks? O-A-C-H-S? Uh, O-C-H-S. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. No, I oh. haven't. I don't think so. I'm just thinking of like the Kearney stuff that we did with Educare. All those different foundations. I don't think that one's in there. Yeah. Mm-mm. So so he... Um, he has an interesting, we do some work with him and try to refer some clients to him. His point is that there needs to be, you know, there, there's the historical model is charitable giving, which is just gifts. And then there's sort of normal investment, like market rate investment, but there are very little overlap between the two. And so mm-hmm. his Venn foundation is basically a Venn diagram where he's using mm, yeah. these PRI kind of charitably, <clears throat> um, these charitably funded uh, loans that are PRIs mm-hmm. that you can do through an, an individual DAF. Um, are you an investment advisor? Or what mm-hmm. do you, so you, yeah. okay. Do you, do you have a lot of clients that have donor advice yeah. funds? Yeah. So we should connect off. Yeah. It, that, yeah it would, would be fun be, to talk about. I would love to, to sit and pick your brain. Cause there's, there's a number of people that they have charitable intent. They want, and, but they ask a lot of questions like do. I do where they're like, what like I want to know my money is going to the right place and it's being managed the right way. Mm, yep. Because I manage my money a certain way. Yeah. And I want to see that. And like I said, that's why I asked the question of there's not a lot of five oh one C threes that are going to talk to that person. Right. Because they it's a it's a feel good story. Yep. It's not always like a hey, here's the dollars and cents of how all of it works. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't get that very much when so, I've, when I've been in the meetings with my client searching for where they're going to send a lot of money. Well, and, you know, if you go to MAF, for example, and look at their advisory board, they're, you know, as you know, I mean, they're some of the most qualified, most experienced people sitting on, I mean, really any board. And so they're building out a team. So, like, I don't care if you bring in somebody that has $5 million they want to give away or $500 million. Like, they have a team. You know, it's not their board. Maybe some are, you know, a cross-board and advisory team. But these are people at, like, RBC. They're people that are, you know, they're bank presidents. They're, you know, these are smart people that have, mm-hmm. you know, big, you know, big portfolios that they manage in their day-to-day. Bring that person to that board, like, to that advisory team and go, hey, let's just sit down with these three. Boom. Mm-hmm. All the questions get answered. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it keeps that level of comfort up. I don't care what you say. I mean, the longer you keep doing something, like you do it a certain way, you try to kind of figure out how to do those things over and over and over again. If you're giving to your church or your charity or how you run meetings, like 
I don't run my nonprofit meetings really any differently than I do my for-profit meetings. Mm -hmm. That's just how I run my meetings. Mm -hmm. So they're going to ask the same questions in their, you know, like the same meeting with you or that board. I think that's why they've been able to grow so much mm -hmm. is based on having this, like this expertise yeah. that's just there on hand. And, and what we, you know, as a firm, we try to tell nonprofits, you, you need to have a story, an emotional story, because some people want the emotional story, Correct. 100%. but you also need the story that's going to resonate with a banker, right? Who Correct. wants to understand the numbers and the impact and mm -hmm. neither one of them is wrong, but you kind of have to know the audience. And for mm -hmm. a lot of them, it, it isn't as natural for them to do that it, in some, I think for some of them, it kind of cheapens it. Uh, it, it cheapens the mission and the the well, value it, of what they're doing, but yeah. Uh, for so, the, yeah, for the broader audience, the emotional appeal and the story is what's going to bring a lot of it. Yep, and, and that's going to. Most people don't want to know how the watch works. Yep. they just want to know what time it is. Yeah, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But there are a lot of people that, again, I'm biased because that, that's just the way my mind works. But anyway, well, and it helps. Um, it helps to differentiate them. Uh, mm -hmm. Right. I mean, because there are lots of like we talked about, there are two million 501c3s. And so mm -hmm. if you're able to articulate what you do and why you think it works and the data points you can show, you can mm -hmm. use to sort of back that that story up. I think that that does get to the investor type uh, person mm -hmm. right? Yeah. who's looking for. And the irony is the people who have a lot of money to give. Um, are that way because they use that financial discipline to, to yep. sort of amass the wealth they have. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them don't want to give that up when it comes to giving it away. They're right? just used to that. They're not going to. They've, they've done it for 35 years. That's just how they do it. Yeah, correct. Yeah, if it's charity or not or if it's nonprofit. And I think that's the whole fear of the stigma of, you know, 30, 40 years running nonprofits. Uh, it's like, you know, feel good, grassroots, all this you know, flyers on the window, crap, you know, that's been around forever. Um, it needs to run like a business, but not to the point of where you frustrate your own, you know, warm fuzzies, mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. that's really part of your narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the, you know, like I think about the, you know, like the Libstrong as one of probably the greatest examples of, right? Mm -hmm. No? Yellow wristbands, yeah. Libstrong, Lance Armstrong, yep. right? Mm -hmm. the, I mean, the cheat to win yellow armband, right? <laughs> yeah. what, what they raise based on the narrative and all the stuff. <clears throat> yeah. But they also did a lot of good stuff. Yep. Mm -hmm. But as soon as that stuff happened, like it's still a foundation still does things, mm -hmm. yep. but it's not that big anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I don't think they, I think they were probably too, maybe too heavy on, on one side, mm -hmm. you know, versus their metrics. Mm -hmm. And people were like, screw that. I'm out of here. And he didn't really have that much to do with it at the time when it ended, according to the experts that were around. Hmm. But it's just the belief of what it was. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, sunk him, I think, in the end. That was like the first rubber <clears throat> silicone wristband that like came out. It did something, yeah. It was like that and WWJD. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? <laughs> like those yeah, are the two. Right. <laughs> or like, what's the, what's, what's the breast cancer awareness? The Susan, what is it, G. Kelman? Yep, Susan J. Kelman. Mm -hmm. Susan J. <clears throat> Kelman. Um, just coming under heavy scrutiny mm. for all kinds of things. Um, and that kind of blurred their mission with, you know, like with the scrutiny, which goes back to our early question of about why are people like, well, 12 cents goes to administration. What? 12 cents to pay, you know, like to pay people? Uh-huh. So 
There Thank is a. Is okay. Oh, that's my I, wife again. Do you want me to talk to her? Yeah, <laughs> you should. We're still doing this podcast. Uh, hello, this is Wade's answering service. Matt speaking. How may I direct your call? <laughs> Don't worry, Kelly. I'm doing well. You're actually on air right now. <laughs> Sorry, just, you're on air. Yeah, don't worry about it. You're 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 great. You're on the podcast. So there's the thing where, without fail, there's like an eighty okay, percent well, chance uh, he loves you and he'll see you home in a little while. Eighty percent chance she calls okay, during I, the podcast. Yeah, without she, fail, she goes. Oh crap! <laughs> right. <laughs> so she at, says she loves you too. Yeah. So every time, and I shut my phone off. It's on the calendar. It's like an eighty percent hit, maybe seventy percent hit that she calls you know, like during the podcast. <laughs> so it's kind of a running gag. It's nice to know you're on her mind, right? Apparently, when I need to do stuff. You know, like, <laughs> so we've never we've never answered well, her phone call. Yeah, but this time, here before, it was like Kelly. She's like, "Oh hi, it must be five thirty. So. Anyway, so where were we? Okay, so there was a council. I forget the name of it. It's like the National Council of Ethics and Corporations. It's something like NCII or, you know, yep. has a name like that. Um, and they go and they do different reviews on the construction industry. Maybe you know the right acronym, but it's it's federal. It's, you yep. know, it's, you know, it's big boy stuff. Go ahead. Uh, do they do codes, like different different codes for construction and yep. healthcare? You yep. got it. I, I, I know what you're talking about. So they do all kinds of industries, and you can find the reports. They don't do the same ones every year, all year long. But they do some general trending going back to, you know, like, the mid-20th century. And basically, companies have never been more ethical than they are right now. Mm-hmm. There's never been more transparency than there is right now. Yep. I mean, think about, I don't know, they put cocaine in Coca-Cola, and they would dump sewer stuff into the lake. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Cars didn't have seat belts. I mean, like pre-Nader stuff. Corporations were more unethical 60, 70, 80 years ago. Yeah. The problem is we are so much more skeptical now. We are so much more skeptical. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, their ethics went like this. Straight up. Our disbelief followed. Bull crap. I'm like, come on. Asbestos. I mean, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Stuff that we were eating, ingesting, they didn't tell us about. I mean, just Tuskegee Air. Just <laughs> the list goes on as they keep going. Right? Their bombs are going off in the middle of the desert. We're way more ethical, but we think it's crap. We think corporations are evil. We think CEOs and bankers and lawyers and people that run these businesses are bad people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by and large, they're much, much better than their predecessors. And- so my my take, and I, I've even thought about <clears throat> giving a little talk about this, because I, I think philanthropy is helpful in a couple of ways. I think people crave meaning in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard. Not all of us are going to be able to get that in our careers, in our day job, at least right away. So being able to plug someone into a meaningful nonprofit as a volunteer or being able to make a gift to them and know yep. that um, – that the money you're giving is is making a difference is helpful. And I, I have a theory. I haven't been able to find a study that backs it up, but I find it more gratifying to buy a car if I've done the research and I go to consumer reports and I know what I want and it's I've invested two weeks of my two weeks of my life before I buy the car. I find mm-hmm. it I get more 
sort of, uh, I don't know what the economists will call it. I get more kind of utility out of that purchase than mm -hmm. I otherwise would. Mm -hmm. I think people would be the same way about giving that sometimes mm -hmm. they give because their accountant says it's the end of the year and you're going to get socked. You need to write a check. I mm -hmm. don't care to where, just mm -hmm. write a check so that we're, it's a tax avoidance thing. It's mm -hmm. not a, they haven't thought about it. It doesn't, it's not going to give them the same sort of utility as a donor if, as, as if they'd had someone take them through and figure out what's important to them and then know mm -hmm. that they're really supporting that whatever that cause is in a meaningful way. Yep. Um, so, so I think that, I think philanthropy has the ability to generally make people happier if, mm -hmm. if we can connect them to something that they find important. I also think that part of the distrust and the skepticism that Wade's talking about happens when we have to interact with big institutions all the mm -hmm. time. Yep. Nothing worse than being on a God dang, like uh, getting stuck in a phone tree on a helpline, right? Trying to, or yep. calling Verizon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all have like some nightmare story where you're trying to deal yeah. with a big institution and it makes you skeptical. And, and I think one of the antidotes to that is to volunteer and to, to work uh, locally in the nonprofit world with your neighbors around a cause you all care about and you may mm -hmm. not be of the same political stripe as your neighbor, but you don't have to be. You, you're working on Habitat for Humanity mm -hmm. or your park or whatever. Yeah. And I think it's good for I think it's good for society for people to get more involved yeah. in in the nonprofit world too, because it doesn't necessarily have to be no, look at that. What? Cigarettes. <laughs> okay. It's an endorsement right there. We're way more ethical now. <laughs> more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. <laughs> he has a healthy glow about him though. Yeah, you look know. at him. Look at that guy. Do you think you could keep up with the busy doctor this morning? <laughs> According to a recent nationwide poll. More doctors prefer camel. <laughs> More you <know>. doctors smoke camels. <laughs> so why do they have doctors as their... Uh, did they have any idea that it had probably some type of Absolutely. negative health effect. Absolutely. No way they would With have a fresh known that. Turkish blend. <laughs> you wouldn't have known yeah. that. Yes, they did. Absolutely they did. Okay. Well, so this is the whole thing about, you know, it's probably like an easy target going, you know, big tobacco. But let's even ask them the question, who funded the, the uh, study that said that smoking, you know, doesn't cause problems? It's like, uh, that, that's where the skepticism comes from. Yeah. Is because of all of that. The Philip Morris Foundation. <laughs> you know. But, no, but so, yeah, I mean, I think that's the deal is you go massive consolidation, you know, creates huge disconnect. And I think that there's a bit, there's a huge opportunity in, I think, again, subjective viewpoint, in our generation of people that are being impactful at this point to do more local stuff. You mm -hmm. see it in I hope beer, so. the brewery. You see it in just more, like the Mankato Area Foundation. People are giving more to that than they are to the Red Cross because it's local. They can see mm -hmm. what's actually yep, happening. they can see the impact. What's and, going on. And they know on. the people working on it, right? I mean, that's, that's exactly right. You can shake that, a hand that, and you don't have to call an 800 number. Yeah. I think that there's a, there's a definite push. There's a farmer's market in Madison Lake where I live and you go there Saturday morning, you get to meet Joe Farmer, who just has a shit ton of carrots. You know, it's like yep. that's you buy some carrots and some green beans and stuff, and you get to, you see him every Saturday. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's a big push for that. You go to restaurants and they talk about 
the, you know, this is locally sourced stuff. Yeah. Joe Rogan had a podcast the other day talking Joe about Rogan. this guy <laughs> down uh, in Texas. He's He uh, owns this restaurant, and all they do is basically pork. And he goes, I know where all these animals are. I have, I have a handshake oh, yeah, agreement yeah, with yeah. these people. I know who they are, how they were raised. Like, I get all my vegetables from here, and it's all within the Austin area. This you is know? nothing new. I think it's, it's nice. cool. Right, but it's not new stuff. No, but I, mean, I think it's different than it was 25 years ago. It, it's just coming back. Yes, it, you know, everything cycles. Back. Everything cycles. You know, and I think the pigs are better, hogs are better, vegetables are better. Nothing has ever been better than it is right now in mm-hmm. human history. Mm-hmm. Not you know, from yep. nonprofits to craft beer, it's the best it's ever been. Yep, we, we are living in the best, the greatest time ever. in history ever, ever. <laughs> Seriously, ever. Seriously, nothing ever. is better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cars are better, shoes are better. You know, yeah. shrinks are better, drugs are better. Like everything's better. Surgeries are better. Mm-hmm. Like the list goes on and on and on. But do we have the, you know, can we still see the forest you know like have we lost it for the trees so that's my you know hitting 40 and thinking about that mm-hmm. we got to be able to see the forest or the sand hills right you gotta be able to see them it, it is <clears throat> yeah it's a weird kind of human psychology thing where uh people have all this angst and <clears throat> they're un, un dissatisfied and and objectively like we're all going to live longer than right. our ancestors. We're all healthier, eat better food, drive nicer cars, have easier jobs, and better we're still just, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, still just I, th- I think though, like being, I was a history major, philosophy major, but you go back. I think the reason why is because we have more time to, to sit and about think it. about it. Yep. Where so. if you and I were in Nebraska. In 1850, <laughs> we didn't have time to sit and think about. I wonder where our, you know, produce produce is sourced. It's like <laughs> I hope we have some heat and yeah. some food from now until next March. Yeah. And Let, if we don't, we're gonna die. Let's eat the least moldy potato. That's exactly <laughs> right. You know, like you, my yeah. grandparents. You have a steak that the plate is clean. I mean, there is nothing left. Right. I have a steak. I'm like, oh, that you know, that's kind of some gristle. Like, <laughs> eh. you know, I'll push it aside. And my grandpa's like, what are you doing? He'll take it out off my plate. And he'll eat it. You know. But I, I think, think that's an have, age thing too, though, because I'm now there. We, like, I, I would never do it before. <laughs> I'd like watch my grandma or, or like my grandpa or my my dad just plowing through just the fat ring on yeah. a sirloin steak. And I'm like, oh, it's disgusting. Now I'm like, this is good. <laughs> like, I need this. But I, I, I truly think it's a generational thing where two, three generations ago, yeah. there was a lot of the population that was just wondering if they were going to survive. Right? <laughs> you talk about, talk about Oli as an example, or Speed. You know, uh, right? Did I say it yep, right? Yep, yeah. Yep. Sweat. So, I mean, those guys. Yeah. What was it? Sweat. Sweat. For what? Sweat's bar. But you get. You talk about like the 1930s. That's Dust Bowl era. Yeah. And there was a whole part of the country that starved because it, their fields turned to sand and they couldn't do anything. Yeah. You know. And so, I don't know. I think we have it so easy today that we have time to sit and think about all of this stuff when we didn't a hundred years ago, even 60 years ago. Right. So yeah, Swede <clears throat> ate lard sandwiches for when he went to school. Like that's mm-hmm. what they, that's what they had to eat. Mm-hmm. That's what his mom packed him for lunch was a lard sandwich. Cause that's damn good was, calories. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Fat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that's, that's pretty, that's like abject poverty. Like you don't see Yep. That's uh, any longer. Yeah, that was like mayo. Yeah, you have a mayonnaise sandwich. Yeah, 
I used to eat mayo sandwiches. Hmm. It was like, well, I don't know, put some mayo, at least with some flavor. Mm-hmm. Right. Get the mayo, and then you then we keep the mayo jar. Mm-hmm. Can, like when they were glass, there, there was no olive oil mayo. Mm-hmm. It was just regular mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. No, no miracle, miracle whip. whip. No, was a miracle. No. no regular old helmets. <laughs> like you know, you get the oil on the top. I mean, so. <clears throat> We have all these different things and problems that we're trying to solve, and you know the nonprofits are meeting those needs. But I think it's are there that many problems? I don't know. I question it all the time. I mean, I think there are some larger ones, but you know, like you're saying, just food and heat and those kinds of things. But it's a it's a giant buffet. I mean, of ailments we're trying to cure, and mm-hmm. and we have the resources to do it. So I I. I'm not trying to close the podcast, but I, you know, I commend the work and your openness to doing the nonprofit work and meeting everybody where they want to be met for their particular mission. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of, that's a big, it's a, there, are, there are a lot of missions. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. You know. Thank you both for having me. This has been fun. And if you hope you enjoyed it. Do a whole segment on raccoons whenever yeah. you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great. totally fine. I could tell you a bunch of stories about some goofy raccoons, but yeah. All right. Yeah. So did you get the raccoons names? Yeah, uh, the first batch was uh, Shotgun and Joe. Those were the two males. My brother's was Shotgun and mine was Joe. And then uh, Molly was the second one and Wilma was the last one we had. Hmm. Okay. They were all fun. Well, what were your parents' names? Bruce and Roxy. Okay, Bruce and Roxy. So we got a Bruce yep. and a Roxy. Bruce Jr. Yep. Shotgun Bruce, and Joe. Bruce and Irene, Bruce and Roxy. Was it Roxanne? Nope, just Roxy. R-O-X-I-E. Actually, Roxy. Roxy Lee. All right. Now we know why you're so naturally cool. Like you, it's just a stock. You can't have names like that and be lame. You gotta be cool. No, thanks to Eric Snyder from Excelsior Bay Group. Uh, had, had such a fun exclusive, time. The exclusive. The exclusive. Excelsior Sorry, the, Bay Group. The yes. Excelsior Bay Group. Um, this is your camera here. If you want to say hi to anybody, give any shout outs, any plugs for any uh, fundraising. Mm. All right. Here's Go packs to Tigers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks. <laughs>